with the family with Melissa Kirk, Andy Brant Bernard, and Cassie Schrader. And we'll be right back to kick off hour two. Special guest up next with the family. It's time for Team KQ Walzer's third annual Tour to Cure ride. Join me, Doug Sprinthal, Michael Bryant, and a ragtag group of riders as we raise money to fight diabetes. This year, the ride is Saturday, June 1st, and starts at Boom Island. We take the 26-mile route. It's a ride, not a race, so people of all abilities are welcome. It's a worthy cause that raises millions to support research for a cure for this terrible disease. Go to diabetes.org slash kqwalzer or email doug at walzer.com for more information. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's been good. And how do they contact you? At, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Are you playing private eye? Yes, I am. Oh, you're such a disaster. It's well, you, unbelievable. You can't have a book titled Private Eyes without plugging Hall and Oates in there. But I suppose that's true. <laughs> is, Dahlia, is Dahlia Schweitzer ready to go? Yep. Dahlia Schweitzer, me? ladies and gentlemen, I can hear you beautifully. Thank you. Perfect. I, I absolutely can. The book's called L.A. Private Eyes. L.A. Private Eyes examines the tradition of the private eye as it evolves in films, books, and television shows set in Los Angeles from the 1930s through the present day. So I only want to go that far, Dahlia, because, yeah, why is that, that L.A. was kind of like the onset of the private eye? There were cops in New York, and there were cops in Boston, but once you got to L.A., there were a lot of private eyes, which I love those private eye movies, by the way. I should tell you that. As but why do did I, that happen? Yeah. It has Why to did do that happen with, if you even just think about Los Angeles in terms of horizontal sprawl versus mm-hmm. a oh, city yeah. like New York and Chicago, which is much more vertical. And so yep. Los Angeles needs someone who can traverse the entire expanse. And if you think about just cops in Los Angeles, they only do specific little areas, right? So you have, like, the cop who patrols downtown or Venice or whatever. Yeah. So you really need yeah. the private eye to travel through all those different neighborhoods. That makes complete sense to me. See, I learned something already, Dahlia. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, then you can always dig deeper, but that's, 
that's the most obvious difference between Los Angeles and cities like New York. No, you're absolutely right. That makes complete sense that you would, yeah, if it was a cop show. I mean, you know, they do have, like, Bosch is set in Los Angeles, I believe. Uh, the um, Michael Connolly books, uh, Titus Welliver plays him on, what is that on his own? No, that's in Los Angeles. It's in Los Angeles. Yeah, that is in, it is in Los Angeles, yeah. Which, uh, you know, yeah. he's a cop in that, and he, you know, at first anyway. But in any case, uh, I did find that, did Raymond Chandler, is he the first one that said, hey, uh, was he the first one out of the box with the private eye and the? Because his books to this day are extremely readable. They're very good, I think. Yeah, he's he's the one who really brought it to brought sort of the private eye to Los Angeles. You had Dashiell Hammett, but he was in San Francisco. Yeah. And so yep. Raymond Chandler, Philip Marlowe, and The Big Sleep was really the first to kind of you know bring the detectives to Los Angeles, integrate sort of elements of Hollywood and noir and all that with the mystery. God, I, I just thought, what, why do you think it is that you, uh, you're a woman, I'm a man, you're probably a lot younger than I am, and we're both just fascinated by, uh, because I still, to this day, if, oh, it's a private eye movie, I, I think I'd like that. I mean, just the fact that it's a private oh, eye interests me. Yeah. I love those but, movies, and it's funny because I started working on this book after I finished my previous book, which dealt with the end of the world and the apocalypse and zombies and all that, and it was kind of mm-hmm. like I needed a palate cleanser to sort of soothe me after seeing all these portrayals of the apocalypse. And I think the thing that's so great about these private eye narratives is you know that the private eye is going to solve it by the end. You know that pieces are going to be put back where they belong. You know that the private detective is always going to act with integrity. He's going to do the right thing. You know, there's something very affirming about that. The private detective can tell which information should be ignored and which information should be observed. I mean, all this stuff, which I think is still relevant now in 2019. You know what I find fascinating about private eye stories, too? And I suppose they kind of, kind of bumped up against it in cop stories. But with the private eye, because they're not employed by the city, they may be hired out as, a, uh, again, a private investigator. But... There, a lot of them turned into kind of booze houndy people, and you know, you know what I'm talking about. Where you didn't have that straight laced yeah, cop. Ex- yeah, it was wonderful. I love that about it. These are actually human beings. I like that. Well, they're always they're they're on the outside, right? They they're people who don't mm-hmm. fit in. They're mavericks, right? For lack of a better yep. word. And I even talk in the book about how they really are the modern day cowboy because they are yeah. kind of riding through Los Angeles on their own. Sometimes they work with the cops, but sometimes they're working against the cops. They follow their own rules. They have their own code of ethics, but that code of ethics might not directly correspond to what's legal and what's illegal. Um, they've always got to have some kind of a failed relationship, right? They can't ever be happily married with a wife and two and a half kids. You know, usually they're right. divorced or they're widowed or they've never <laughs> been married. They're smoking, they're drinking, you know, they've got to be tortured because that's part of their persona, that they are this loner. They can't get along well with others. And I guess that's why I I love it so much because it's, you know, this might be hard for you to believe, Dahlia, but I didn't always follow the rules as a kid. So maybe that's why I identified. (laughs) Neither did I. (laughs) Well, gee, there's a shock. 
Uh, it takes a closer look at narratives, uh, both on screen and on the printed page, in which detectives travel the streets of Los Angeles uncovering corruption, moral ambiguity, and greed with conviction. You know, that's funny. I, I got to stop there because the word greed popped up. That, that if La- mm-hmm. Los Angeles, wherever private eyes exist, if you just use the word greed now, they'd never run out of business. <laughs> I will tell you that. Nope. They'd, nope. Have ca- they'd have cases for the rest of time. <laughs> yep. And, and it's always very important that the private detective isn't greedy. Right. right. The private oh, it's detective very important, is one yeah. who's only like, you know, I'll, I, it's just $5 a day plus expenses or whatever, you know, because he's got integrity. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it's everyone around him. I mean, that's what you see, you know, in the movie Chinatown. It's all about the greed of the people in authority. Well, they should do a, a whole bunch of – you should write a, about a million private eye books because it's very hard to find a person these days that's not greedy. Uh, money's kind of taken yeah. over not not only the United States but world culture. Money is everything now. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think really that's one it... of uh, yet another way in which the private eye is a novelty because the novel the, the private mm-hmm. eye is not obsessed with money, and you see that even with like contempt. I mean, even if you want to go back to your example of Bosch, um, you know the Michael Connolly character, he doesn't right. care about money. He's not interested in making nope. it rich. He's interested in doing the right thing. Which is, that's why I love it so much. I mean, you just nailed it right there, and it's, mm-hmm. I guess it's very obvious. But I am interested in people who are interested in doing the right thing. I find that fascinating because yeah. it's, is it, is it, uh, it's so vacant in the real world that, that nobody lives there and trying to do the right thing anymore? No, that's why it, it, there's something very kind of reassuring and nostalgic about it. Yeah, you know, the, it yeah. the private detective doesn't want to be a social media influencer you know he's like he's old school he does you know he has integrity god that is now i i I haven't run across it myself but i just this is very quick is there a private eye out there that uses social media a lot in any any book or tv show because i i don't know of one but they must somebody must be using it i would imagine in their work i would think that's a really good question and i can't think i mean Veronica Mars is the most yeah. sort of the most updated version of the private eye, um, and so I'm sure there must be some use of social media. I mean, I'm curious to see what happens with the reboot that's coming out later this, uh, in actually a couple months, um, because the mo- I can't remember the movie probably had it, but it wasn't a big part of it because I think there's something about the private eye that's still kind of old-fashioned. So I don't know if there's yeah, a private think, yeah. eye movie that, or television show that uses them a lot. Now, Dahlia, did your, did your parents, uh, were they big fans? Because my mother was a huge Philip Marlowe fan, and there, there was a lot of influence there, obviously, for me, because my mother loved the, the... They were called private dicks back then, which I don't know why they were called yep. that, but they were. But she yep. loved those uh, those movies, and, and, and therefore I watched them with her, and she would enjoy them, and, and I ended up... Well, first of all, great acting. Real, a lot of really good acting yes. in those movies. I, my dad and I enjoyed Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah, um, sure. But I think that's kind of as far as the overlap went, and then I sort of fell really? down the rabbit hole on my own. Um, and I know, <laughs> I like, as a small child, I discovered Encyclopedia Brown and Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys sure. and Tom Swift, and I think yeah. I kind of found it on my own, and then that 
morphed into Agatha Christie and Arthur Conan Doyle. And then I got really into Michael Connolly when I moved to Los Angeles because I, yeah. I it was just it felt extra cool to be reading these mysteries that were set in the same city in which I live. See, I think that's very true. It is interesting thinking about that in my generation, the generation before yours, we didn't have any of those uh, characters. You were talking about the Nancy Drews and, you know, and available on television, certainly. Um, there was right. not a whole lot of that. So, yeah, you, you're very lucky to grow up in the area in which you grew up because uh, it was a good era for, the, for, for all that stuff. Uh, young kids could follow along what would be, I guess, child child private detectives in a way i guess just you know investigators more than the detective i guess just investigating this that and the other thing but do, do we then live vicariously through these characters is that another big part of it dahlia 100 percent um and i yeah. think kind of like i was saying that we need the private detective to navigate the city of los angeles because the city of los angeles is so big and most people tend to you know, kind of stay in whatever neighborhood they consider to be their home. So it's not only that the private detective can traverse, you know, from Koreatown to Beverly Hills to Los Feliz to Van Nuys, whatever, but he can also talk to the people who live in those neighborhoods. So he can talk to the very rich, he can talk to the very poor. And so he does become our eyes and ears for sort of understanding Los Angeles as this kind of, you know, the last vestige of the Wild West. Yeah, you know, and I think that's that was part of it because I grew up in Minnesota. I was born in Minnesota, grew mm-hmm. up in Minnesota, and I do remember reading those those books as a kid and in my teen years and younger, you know, pretty much throughout my life. But yeah, to to be sitting in Minnesota in in February and it's about forty below outside, and you're reading about a guy wandering around Los Angeles where it's nice and warm and there are palm trees. It was a, a, another mm-hmm. way to escape the horrible weather. I mean, it was it was wonderful. Oh, of if course. You, do you have to have an imagination, or can all people do that? Can all people do what? Enjoy the private eye book? Yeah, I mean, you kind of live vicariously. Just realizing you are escaping bad weather by reading about how a guy just got pulled over, you know, underneath a palm tree, and it was a little, you know, it was a beautiful day. <laughs> you know, just hearing about I mean, that I'm... while you're... I would hope that, that everyone could kind of, um, you know, paint the picture in their head. Because I think it's, all, it's not just the warm weather. It's also, you know, the sort of the, the glow of Hollywood, the glamour, the corruption. I mean, it's sort of, it's a very vivid picture. And so I think that it becomes very easy to depict it, especially, you know, like say you're growing up in Minnesota. It's like you have this very... Um, kind of stereotyped image of Los Angeles where you have the glamorous yeah. movie stars rubbing shoulders with the mobsters and you have the government corruption and then you it's like money, 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 greed, greed, greed. Um, and so I think the city itself is a very good canvas for writers of these narratives. It becomes very oh, it's absolutely true. Yeah, it's, not, it's unlike any other city I've ever... To tell you the truth, I, you know, I've lived in Chicago, I've lived in, in uh, New York... Uh, you know, live down the, you know, close to Miami, but I've never lived in Los Angeles and therefore it's just totally different than any other big city. I, I think you find it, it's just not like Chicago or New York or not even San Francisco. It's its own town. I think it's completely different. I mean, both, I think mm-hmm. in the way that it was developed, but also the way that it functions even today, it's completely the opposite of a place like New York. 
No doubt about it. I uh, I will be reading. You got to write book after book after book because I think this is a wonderful thing. I had, I had a close friend who died a few years ago. Vince Flynn wrote fifteen bestsellers. Uh, wow. It was just wonderful stuff. And watching him do that was really really cool. And developing. It was funny because Vince was like six three, probably weighed about two thirty, solid muscle, very very handsome guy. I mean, he was. The private detective, but he wrote stories where, where his, uh, you know, it, they were just very interesting because you could see a lot of him in them, uh, and I suppose that's 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 what a good writer is. You it kind of comes through, and and therefore I find it fascinating that a young woman, Dahlia Schweitzer, would write L.A. Private Eyes. I'm I'm very happy that you're you're fascinated with the genre, and I hope it lives forever. I will tell you that. Thank you. I do too. Most definitely. So the book is available everywhere. This is Dahlia. By the way, great website. This is Dahlia. That was a good move. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. So we will keep an eye on you. And please come back and join us. I'd like to talk a lot more about uh, what's coming up in the future. But thank you so much for this because it is it, it means so much to me. And I kind of, you know, while talking to you, I had memories of my mom sitting there watching, you know, Raymond Chandler. It was very, very cool. I appreciate your time, Dahlia. Of course. Thank you so much. It's our great pleasure. Dahlia Schweitzer, ladies and gentlemen. Again, this is Dahlia, D-A-H-L-I-A. This is Dahlia.com. We'll be right back in just a couple of minutes with the family. It's Tom Bernard with North American Banking Company CEO and my buddy, Michael Bilski. Michael, let's say somebody has a plan to expand their business this year. How can North American Banking Company get that job done? At North American Banking Company, we'll take time to understand the customer's needs and wants and their plans for the future. Once we have a good understanding of that, we'll try to solve their financing dilemma. We won't take a cookie-cutter approach to any financing situation. Wonderful. So if I need cash to expand my podcast, you got a plan for me too? No. (laughs) (laughs) God, thank you. I see where this is going. Well, we love working with you. We can help any business, including a podcast, that's already very successful. Who's better than you? That's what I want to know. You I still are. never liked you, though. You are. No, I never. Don't try to make up. I don't. <laughs> Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and an equal housing lender. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. Spring is here, and there's no better time to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they want to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK spring savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them I sent you and save 500 bucks on your LASIK. Offer expires June 21st, 2019. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offers. Take five, Dave Brubeck, right? Yep. 
it, it, it just ah. brings back that old Hollywood. Oh, God, yes. You know Absolutely. what I mean? I do love those books. I love those movies. I, I really, the TV series. That's one thing, uh, you know, having Bosch on, uh, what is that, on Netflix or Prime? I think it's on Amazon Prime. Yeah, Prime. Yeah. Uh, I, I really, I do like that whole deal. And I, I think Dahlia made a very good point that they're just trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. I love that. Not a lot of it anymore, such as life. Uh, very, very sad story. John Singleton's family made the agonizing decision to take him off life support per a statement, and the Oscar-nominated writer and director of Boys in the Hood died yesterday at the age of only 51. He passed away peacefully, surrounded by his family and friends. The family says in a statement to The Hollywood Reporter, Singleton had fallen into a coma after suffering a major stroke. His family said in a statement to Deadline that the decision to take him off life support was made with the careful counsel of John's doctors. Like many African Americans, Singleton quietly struggled with hypertension. Not only African Americans, a lot of people suffer from hypertension. Yeah, but I think Do, I think African Americans. Yeah, it's they're kind of predisposed, kind of like how really sickle cell and and stuff like that. For some yeah. reason, yeah, I see. Yeah, a lot of African Americans do suffer from high blood pressure. Mm. That's terrible. See, on the, the exact opposite, JB and Philip give me hypertension. <laughs> so you know, the big difference there. The statement notes, more than 40% of African-American men and women have high blood pressure, which also develops earlier in life and is usually more severe. His family wants to share the message with all to please uh, recognize the symptoms going on uh, to heart.org. Singleton, who was the first African-American to be nominated for a directing Oscar for his iconic debut. That is a great movie. You guys like that movie? Boys in the Hood? Yep. Yes. Really great movie. I remember watching it for the first time. In the early 90s, and I was, because I had no idea what it was like to be on the West Coast and to be in Compton and all that. All I could go by is what, you know, Dr. Dre was saying in his rap songs, but to actually get a good visual of what they're going through over there at that time Mm -hmm. um, was pretty eye-opening. It was like, wow, you know, this is what's going on the other side of the country. So, yeah, it was a brilliant movie, and Cuba Gooding Jr., did he win an Oscar for that role? I think so, and it was his first movie, I believe. I think it was his very first well, movie. major role, I think. I think he had some small roles in other movies, but I think that was yeah, his maybe. first like leading role that he did. Right. Uh, he also worked in, t- oh, by the way, I should mention Poetic Justice, Rosewood, Shaft, Too uh, Fast, Too Furious, and Four Brothers. He also worked in television, including co-creating, producing, and directing the FX drama series Snowfall. I don't know that one. What is Snowfall? Um, I saw a couple episodes. It's based on, like, I want to say, was it in the era of, like, the late 60s, 70s, where these young kids were starting to get into drug dealing with uh, cocaine and stuff in the West Coast. And that's mm-hmm. basically how it plays out. It kind of goes through the time. I see. Yeah, that's what that is. He grew up in south-central L.A. and is a prolific, groundbreaking director who changed the game and opened doors in Hollywood, a world that was just a few miles away, yet worlds away from the neighborhood in which he grew up. His family statement reads, As much as we will treasure his body of work, we look forward to the films John would have made in the years ahead. He is survived by his parents as well as children. Justice Masai, M-A-A-S-A-I, Masai, I think you would say it. Uh, Hater, Cleopatra, Selenosol, Isis and Seven. You named your kid Seven? It's a Seinfeld reference. 
That is a Seinfeld reference, isn't it? Yeah, their seventh kid was named Seven. Hmm. So I don't know, whatever the situation is. But I, I was sad to see that John Singleton, that Boys in the Hood, was one hell of a good movie. Mm-hmm. And there's a picture of him, as a matter of fact, on, on Newser, the Newser website, which is a news delivery service. And it's it, John Singleton at, God, he can't be much more than about 22, 23 years old in that picture, I wouldn't think. Um, well, let's see. So this is 1991, so that's 19 plus 928. Yeah, so he was... Uh, what then, 23? Yeah, he was a young yeah. director. Yeah, he was, I think he was 23 when he made Boys in the Hood, if I remember correctly. But, uh, yeah, I'm sorry to see that happen. I, I know he had been hospitalized for quite some time. He had the massive stroke, and he ended up uh, being taken off life support and died at the age of only 51, which is very sad, which is why we have to segue to something that will make you laugh. I cannot believe, Andy, i got to run this by you because you've always been a huge Simpsons fan. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about the Why? losers being offended? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Why would people ever be offended by what Homer Simpson says? <laughs> He's a professional goofball. Because being a bastard. whiny baby online gets you in the news now. Yeah. People well, are. That's true. Every, people take every complaint seriously, no matter how frivolous. Oh. And they need to stop that. It's a cartoon. Really yeah. It's, it's to... a cartoon. Yeah, repeat, reporting tweets as if they were news is one of the I know. things that is killing the public's uh, uh, trust in the news media. Because it's not I news. It's just some idiot. No. Now, this is funny. It's funny, for God's sake. Take a joke. Nope. The Simpsons are not big favorites in Canada at the moment, judging from the online reaction to the cartoon family's visit in the most recent episode. The cartoon family's <laughs> visit! Mm-hmm. For that matter, the show probably hasn't won the hearts of many in upstate New York either, thanks to the same episode. The most heat is in Canada, particularly Newfoundland. As the CBC recounts, one joke in particular hit hard when Lisa tells a group of Canadians that, quote, I'm sure you treat all peoples equally. One replies, except the Quebecois. And the Newfies, the stupid Newfies. <laughs> <laughs> then Ralph Wiggum is seen saying, I'm a Newfie, and clubbing a stuffed seal. <laughs> Come on, how is that not funny? Oh. You know, if they're going to go after Minnesota, they go after Minnesotans for being, you know, the up norders and the living in, it's, it's basically to a lot of people, Minnesota is under about 17 feet of snow and about 20 below every day of the year. That's what they think. Uh, the first offense is the use of Newfie, widely seen as derogatory. The second is the seal hunting dig called a cheap shot and false information. Are you telling me you don't club seals anymore? I didn't know that. <laughs> they have to tell you that they don't club seals anymore. Really. Okay. Well, uh, by the way, the guy who's most pissed off about the, the uh, seal hunting... Uh, he's the owner of a clothing store that sells seal skin clothing. I know. <laughs> so that's why he's upset. Another response from Canadian comic Mark Critch. I've never heard of Mark Critch. Do you know who that is? Maybe there's a reason for that. Any, anyone? I'm not upset about the Newfie joke so much as surprised that in all my 45 years, the lamest, least interesting Newfie joke I've ever heard was on The Simpsons. Still, the joke was nothing compared to the scathing treatment of Buffalo, Rochester, and other upstate New York cities, which the Simpsons traveled through on their way to Canada. It's the one place that can never decline because it was never that great, declared Homer, (laughs) 
who sings a mocking ode per CNN, included uh, the Kodak plants closed by uh, longing to stay and go on disability in upstate New York. Can't make it anywhere, but I can make it there. In response, the State Fair wants the show's writing staff to visit, reports WIVB, and the governor's office wants people to know that unemployment is down and millennials are coming back. So that's good. Why would you get upset about any of that? Well, what were they that upset with South Park and how they portrayed Canadians? And well, exactly. You had Terrence and Philip, who just farted all over the place. <laughs> and all the Canadians, their heads would just flop around. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't even have like a normal, yeah. normal face. <laughs> to me, that would be That's more offensive funny. if I was Canadian than Homer Simpson. But uh, it's cartoons. Look, I mean, Minnesotans have been portrayed in books and movies and some television We've always been portrayed as pretty much frozen hillbillies. Yes. I mean, that's pretty much what they... Who cares? Fargo, it's hello. Funny. We just watched... Yeah, uh, look at, yeah, look at that. Grumpy Old Men. Oh, I love that movie. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good movie. They, they both were. There were oh. two of them or three of them? Two. 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 There were two. Yeah, I like both of them, actually. Speaking of Grumpy Old Men, the house in St. Paul that's that why was we watched filmed it. is up for sale. That's yep. why we watched oh, it. Oh, because the house is up for sale? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that guy did not want him to film in that house, and then eventually he agreed to do it because they fixed his house up or something, or what happened there? Yeah, I can't You guys know? I, they just used the exterior of that house. Of the actual houses were somewhere else. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, well, that dude, they do a lot. You know, Andy, they wanted to use our house as a, for a movie set. Remember that? I did not and Mom know said, that. not a chance. Oh, you didn't know that? <laughs> Mm-mm. Yeah, I can't remember which movie it was. It might have been one of those, uh, 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 what's their names again? Joel. Uh, oh, the Coen Brothers? The, hell's their, the Coen Brothers, yeah. I think the Coen Brothers wanted to use our house as a set for one of their movies or something, but your mom said, not a chance. Well, I have heard from people that if you allow a movie company to come in and shoot a movie at your house, you can count on having a lot of repairs oh, to do yeah. after they leave. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they say in any case, so I don't know. I don't really understand that, but whatever. Didn't happen. The New York Times is apologizing for a political cartoon critical of Benjamin Netanyahu and President Trump, widely seen as anti-Semitic. In fact, the newspaper itself agrees with that description. We are deeply sorry for the publication of an anti-Semitic political cartoon last Thursday in the print edition of the New York Times. I still don't understand this. I just don't. What was their point? The cartoon depicts Netanyahu as a guide dog wearing the Star of David, leading a blind Trump who's wearing a skull cap. (laughs) What is the point? I don't know. (laughs) Does anyone get the point of that cartoon? Because I don't. Trump wearing a skull cap. Is it supposed to be funny? Yeah, he's wearing a skull cap and he's blind. Hmm. So, you know, and it's not the blind leading the blind because Netanyahu as a dog apparently can see. Well, the joke is that Trump is too... uh, I don't know what the word is. He is overly favorable of Israel. How is that possible? I don't know. I don't really understand. Well, first of all, I thought he was an anti-Semite. It turns out, of course, that uh, people finally found out his daughter's a Jew. So they, I, I, I don't know if they stopped accusing him of being an anti-Semite. I doubt it. But now he's too pro-Israel. You can't be both. You can't be anti-Semitic and pro-Israel, I wouldn't think. Ugh. Is that a possibility? 
I don't know. <laughs> I I don't know anymore. I, just, I, I guess you know you can be whatever either. the heck you want to be. I guess these days. I just don't understand what why everybody has to be something and everybody has to be something that I hate. Mm-hmm. That's the other part of it. I just don't get. It's you. You're this, and you're going to be this for the rest of your life. And I'm very upset, and I just can't tell you. Oh, I see in the Star Tribune that the teacher of the year is not going to go to the White House. She's uh, she's boycotting the president. Of course. Minnesota's most recent teacher of the year boycotted a White House visit with President Donald Trump on Monday. Oh, it's already happened. To protest administration policies that uh, she said defy her core belief that every student matters. Are we saying now the president doesn't think that every student matters? Well, every student doesn't matter. That's this. Oh, that's good. Well, it's true. Hey, not everyone is a special... Not- you know, not everyone is the protagonist of their own movie. Some people no, just not. don't matter. That's how it is. Don't tell Kelly D. Holstein. Don't tell her that because she's going to light you up. Kelly Holstein, an English teacher at Chalkbee's Tocata Learning Center, was just one of two from a group of 56 award-winning teachers who skipped the Oval Office meeting and photo shoot with Donald Trump. The group meeting in Washington this week is comprised of the most recent Teacher of the Year award winners from all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and several U.S. territories. Yeah, 56 in total. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't really understand. Well, Andy, you've been in the White House. As a little kid, you were in the White House. And so you and Alex and Mom and me. Mm-hmm. You, do you even remember that? Uh, some of it, yeah. You only remember some of being in the White House. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it shouldn't be surprising. Why don't you he remember? Doesn't, he doesn't remember a lot of things. That's true. Yeah, why is that? Why, do you, 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 need the, you need the bandwidth? I think he blocks it out. I don't know. I just <laughs> didn't pay attention. Well, you were in the White House, for Christ's sake. You were in the press room. We were in the U.S. Navy kitchen. You were in the, ho- you were in the White House. I remember being in there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Most people do. Just not Andy. <laughs> Most people do. Andy doesn't even remember when the guy grabbed him on the street and I had to threaten to kill the guy to let him go. You don't even remember that, do you? Nope. I wonder why, why wouldn't you remember, because obviously you weren't traumatized by it, because otherwise you'd remember it. I don't, I just didn't pay attention. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> You're a disaster. Let me just point that out. Oh. We will take a break. We'll be right back. We'll look at some more news. There's, you know, there, there are, at least today we had some good positive news, and I, I'm hoping maybe some... Something will happen where we can we can have a little positive news, a little negative news. Is always going to happen and kind of meet in the middle. That'd be good. Yes. We'll be right yes. back with the family. What are the things you want to avoid when it comes time to sell your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl. If you're like most people, it's things like open houses, staging, decluttering, repairs, maintenance, and all the people coming through your house. Hey, Tom, the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate was created for people like you so that you can avoid the things that you don't like doing when it comes time to sell your home. We have been presenting offers for homes in most price ranges. Homeowners are loving our guaranteed offer program, especially how much money they are making on their home sale without the inconveniences. So this program is for all price ranges and conditions, including perfectly maintained homes? Most homes do qualify. To see if your home qualifies, go to chrislindahl.com and click Get Offer right now. Will you be the next homeowner to accept an offer from our guaranteed offer program? Find out now. 
If you qualify, you will get an offer in 48 hours or less, and the best part is you get to pick a closing date that is convenient for you and close in as little as three weeks. Go to chrislindahl.com right now to see if you qualify or call 763-401-SOLD. That is 763-401-SOLD. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. Another one bites dust, or is it another one rides the bus? Oh, gosh. And another comes <laughs> on, and another comes on, and another one rides the bus. Just... Hey, I'm going to sit by you. <laughs> Love that song. I was just singing that in the car the other day. Weird Al's version. The bus. Yes. You know, it's funny because... A listener sent me an article about UAW, United Auto Workers, corruption. Mm-hmm. So I just entered the terms, the uh, terms UAW corruption. Here's what came up: UAW corruption history, UAW corruption update, UAW corruption Detroit, UAW corruption charges, UAW corruption probe, UAW corruption 2017, UAW corruption 2018. Oh, my like, good God. Do you have a long history of corruption, do you? What the hell is that all about? Oh, my God, anti-union group blasts UAW in full-page free press ad. A new anti-union campaign launched Wednesday in full-page Detroit newspaper ads portrays UAW as having a culture of corruption that's willing to sell out union members. The ads purchased by a Washington-based group with a history of activism in Michigan and nationwide appeared in both the Detroit Free Press and the Detroit News. The message strikes at the heart of the UAW based in Detroit and mired in an ongoing federal criminal probe tied to corruption centered at the union's joint training center with Fiat Chrysler. Behind the campaign is the Center for Union Facts, which is described on its website as an online empire exposing big labor. The center excerpted uh, quotes from news articles about the corruption case, which has resulted in eight criminal convictions. I think the UAW has the best interests of union members in mind, the ad asks. Well, think again. That's kind of dangerous, don't you think, to be taking on a big union like that? Yeah. Well, what are that, they going to do? The UAW kill you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> ask, ask Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, I was going to say, do. where's Hoffa? <laughs> where's Jimmy Hoffa? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's kind of surprising. I didn't know that, that you just entered UAW and all uh, UAW corruption and all that stuff comes up. It's, I don't know, man. I, I That's pretty interesting, though, because I know... The reason that happened today is I know that Joe Biden's talking a lot about how uh, the Trump administration doesn't care about the workers and, and all, all the rest of that stuff. And they're getting all the union. Uh, oh, it was like the International Firefighters Union and people like that were at his uh, appearance in, in Philadelphia. I think the United Steel Workers, U.S. Steel Workers and all kinds of all kinds of unions. But he's talking about the unions and all that. So. I mean, the problem you have, ladies and gentlemen, is if you have unions, there's going to be corruption. And if you don't have unions, there's going to be people being cheated out of their life's work. Yeah. So, I mean, either have them or you don't. Either way, you gonna you got a problem. There's no doubt about that. But I, I, I just wonder, can you imagine what people would be paid now if they didn't have unions at the United Auto Workers? Although, I don't know. 
I'm not an expert on that stuff. We should probably get an expert on sometime about that and talk about, you know, did it harm the federal government and and some unions really did harm the auto industry. Obviously, in Detroit, that city's just about under, isn't it? Well, the problem is too is that with the contracts that the unions have, they end up pricing the employee out of the market. When you're paying right. somebody thirty thirty dollars an hour and you know a hundred paying a hundred percent of their benefits and nobody's buying cars, they're going to have to shut down a plant because there's no way, there's no um, financial stability there. And, you know, I I went through that with my ex-husband because he worked at the Ford plant here in St. Paul, and the unions didn't do anything to negotiate uh, with Governor Pawlenty at the time to figure out if they could cut their pay or pay a portion of their benefits just to keep the plant open, and the union Uh didn't do a thing to negotiate it. So... Yeah, and that's, that's what I'm saying, I think. Well, look, I just got a, uh, an email from a union worker that says, I wouldn't be making 30 bucks an hour without the union. I think that is absolutely true. Yeah, it's like a double-edged but sword. It is, yeah. It's a, I, I think the worker is going to have a real hard time winning either way on that deal. But, I mean, mm-hmm. if you're making a lot of money, that's good. I mean, it's a yeah. good thing. But you also don't want them to price you out of the market so the jobs just disappear, which happened in, you know, Gary, Indiana, and in, in Detroit, and a lot of different places. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, you know, North American Free Trade Agreement and all these other agreements, it, it's all, you know, Chinese uh, steel entered into the whole thing. I don't know what to tell you. Boy, it's a, it's a pretty confusing world, isn't it? I, I think it is true. And by the way, you know, you talk about th- things being corrupt. I don't think I've ever worked anywhere where somebody in the administration wasn't corrupt. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, if there's money, there's it, corruption. It's... They, yeah, and that's the whole thing. If there's money it. to be made, there's going to be corruption. Yep. There's no question about that. Whether it's a radio station or the voiceover industry or, you know, the record industry or whatever. It, the, yeah, I worked for corrupt people in the past. I didn't know they were corrupt when I took the job, but I did find out as I was leaving, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think you're right, though. It doesn't. It's not just a union thing. It's a, it's a human being thing that if there's a lot of money, there's going to be corruption, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know. Well, that's what we were talking to Dahlia about, uh, doing, trying to do the right thing. There are just not a whole lot of people that even give a rat's ass about doing the right thing, you think? I, it, it's, it's hard to come by these days, that's for sure. And it, it's very frustrating, especially when you're a person who has morals and, you know, tries to do good every day. And then you're constantly yeah. bombarded by people who aren't. It's very frustrating. It is indeed. Boy, do you, I, I brought it up in the first hour just briefly, but did you see the new, the new numbers? We have a new Democratic frontrunner by a lot per a new poll. Former Vice President Biden gets 39% of Democrats. Democrat-leaning independents is the easy frontrunner. Yeah, it's not even close at this point. Now, look, we're still a year and a half away from the election, so things could change. But, yeah, he's, uh, my God, it's unbelievable. 39% of those who consider themselves Democrats or Democrat-leaning independents said he's their pick. Biden is for the Democratic nod. Back in March, that number hovered at 28%. Mm-hmm. The next closest candidate also polling in double digits is Bernie Sanders, but he's more than 20 points back. He's actually 20... Well, good God, he's 24 points back. Yeah. Uh, 15%, because he was, he was in the high... He was like at 20% for a while there, wasn't he, I think... Yeah, you always have, what do they call them, the feel the burn, the, the 
what are they called? Bernie Sanders supporters. I can't remember. Feel the, term. the burn. Yeah, they'd say feel the burn. Um, yeah, I mean he's going to have a following no matter where he, you know where he ends up in the political spectrum. But to me, Bernie Sanders is more of an activist than he is a politician. Oh yeah. And yeah. that's why oh, I think yeah. Biden is starting to pull ahead because he's more of that, you know, politician that clean cut. You know, and he doesn't. And I think people are so sick of Hillary that they're trying to find any yeah, way to not yeah. even have her even think about it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. Uh, so you got yeah, you got Biden at thirty nine percent. You got Bernie Sanders at fifteen percent. Elizabeth Warren comes in third today. How can you vote for someone who lied about being an indigenous person? She has zero credibility. She has well, no credibility But she's at offering all. people free stuff, so that's why they're voting oh, for God. her. Oh, mm-hmm. God. So you can be that's, crooked as long as I get some of it. That's literally <laughs> all it is. They just want their free stuff. That's just sad. Uh, other Dem candidates are ranked as follows. Pete Buttigieg, uh, 7%. Beto O'Rourke, 6%. Kamala Harris, 5%. And all the other candidates come in at 2% or less. That tells me one thing. And I think Joe from Louisville and I agree on this one. You wonder at 39% what kind of stuff they're going to bring about Biden, try to destroy him, because that's a big lead. Mm-hmm. So, man, are you going to get hammered with the news pretty soon? I don't know mm-hmm. what it's going to be in this particular case, but they already brought up Anita Hill because that was a problem for him. But I don't know what kind of garbage they're going to come up with to try to blast him out of that top spot. But I'm sure he'll get accused do, of what... sexual assault or racism any, any moment now. Already had yeah, that incident right what a month ago. Yeah, he, was, he was accused of feeling up women or whatever. Or sm- was he? Didn't he like smell her hair or something? I can't. yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great! So they're already <laughs> trying to smear him for sexual assault. Good to know. Yeah, yeah, we know it's he already been teed up. Smell the hair. <laughs> well, here's a start to it. One of the comments is hilariously or hilariously. That's what it says, Hillary Usley. Uh, Biden is much more corrupt than Trump. All of Biden's wealth is the result of graft, whereas Trump mostly ripped off a lot of investors and employees. Boy, what a great choice, huh? Oh. There are two choices. One guy that ripped off uh, ripped off investors and employees, and the other is graft. Great choice. Graft. Biden's malfeasance is it? Yeah, graft. Uh, Malfeasance says a senator encourages independents to support Trump. If the MSM doesn't cover up for him, LOL, of course they will. It will probably come out in the next couple of months that Biden had direct involvement as part of the Obama administration in a scheme to force the Ukraine to dig up and release negative information on Trump. Yeah, they're, they're, they're going after that. I know that's true. Let's wait until the primary debates begin before we seal Biden's nomination. He's better than Trump, but that's a very low bar. I'm interested in having new blood in politics versus the same old, same old Biden, Warren, Sanders, who've had decades in office and not changed much. Yeah, people are, oh, my God. I was going to say, I wonder if there are any more comments. Yes, there are 360 of them. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) People do get whipped up politically, don't they? Man, you get politics brought out, and it's like, my God, people get whipped up about that. I suppose. how do you guys feel about that? Is just being locked into one, one political view? I just have never fallen for that. It's like, well, that's my candidate, and I believe everything they say. No, I never have. Well, never have. I, and most voters are a one-issue voter, mm-hmm. so uh, I I don't understand that concept because 
yeah, I may agree with this candidate for one thing, but ten other things I think he's horrible at. So I'm not going to vote for him just because yeah, I agree with him on right. one thing. I think people need to be more open-minded and and actually have a dialogue. You don't have to argue, and it's okay to disagree with somebody. That's the thing. It's okay not to agree with everybody and have different different opinions. I like to yeah. find out why people have different opinions for, than I do and figure out where we can come meet in the middle. And yeah, I, th- I agree with that. Yeah, it's. I it, absolutely agree with that. Ugh. No, you're right. Um, <clears throat> we only got a couple of minutes left, so we may as well go with this story. I would say there's a certain company that's got a few problems. Cynet Systems. You ever heard of Cynet Systems? Anyone? Mm-mm. Uh, a tech company counting inclusivity and equality among its core values is apologizing after one of its job listings requested, and I quote, a preferably Caucasian candidate. <laughs> Why would you post that? I don't know. How it was just a disgruntled employee. Oh, is that what it was? Somebody yeah. didn't like the company, so he blasted them? Oh, yeah. It's that is more cold, or less man. fake news. Oh, it God. is. A, yeah, well, except for it actually did happen. Yeah, but it was it's just some news, guy. Just... It wasn't the company. <laughs> no, it was not. How could you possibly think that's okay? Florida coder Helena McCabe tweeted a Virginia-based tech recruiting firm, Signet Systems, on Saturday. Though there were hundreds of critical posts by the time Signet responded almost two days later per WUSA. A tweeted apology for the anger and frustration surrounding the listing for a job with an unspecified pharmaceutical company in Tampa, Florida, posted on LinkedIn, Glassdoor, and other sites, then accompanied the news that individuals involved had been fired. We understand why some may have been upset because we were too, said uh, co-CEO Ashvani Mayur, who's uh, probably not a honky. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, noting Sinet has long been uh, long refused clients who request candidates of a particular race or gender, Mayur added the company was looking at measures that could help us catch offensive or outside out, outside of policy ads before they ever go live. Why wouldn't you already have a board in place to do that? I that, I don't know. I mean, I've had people say things on my show. I'm like, oh God, I wish you hadn't said that. Mm-hmm. Because no matter, and, and again, I understand Sinus position. Because I don't care who said it, man, woman, whatever. If they said it on my show, I got blamed for yeah. it. That's exactly what's what happening. Said? Some idiot. That's exactly what's happening. Played a prank on them, or whatever you want to call it, and uh, people are assuming that the CEO hand wrote that because people are stupid. <laughs> and by the way, the people at Newser put a black man and a black woman looking at a laptop. They both got this look on their face like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, my God. I just can't believe this. Well, that person's never going to work again. No. I mean, the people, what says here, people have been fired. Not just one person's been fired, but people have been fired. Uh, you're never going to work again. Who the hell's going to hire you? Are you crazy? Yeah, that's why I never understood that kind of thing. It's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to get them for you know firing me or lowering my pay or whatever. Well, you just basically ruined your own life by showing that you can't be trusted. So, mm-hmm. good, Ooh, good job there. Yeah, exactly. How about this? This weekend at the Minneapolis Convention Center, there was a huge job fair for people of color. How the F is that any different? Discrimination is discrimination is discrimination. It does not matter in what direction. 
and then get off my lawn. Since the job was in Florida, shouldn't the ad have said non-psycho, mentally stable, non-meth addict, literate, with no felony record applicant preferred? Yeah, no kidding, right? Florida's getting blasted again, man. They just get blasted constantly. I don't know what to tell you about all this stuff. This whole race thing is really getting out of control because people, once again, it was never right to single people out because they're black, and it's still not right to single out people because they're white. It's yeah. never been right, and it's still not right, so why do you keep doing it? Think about that, and then we'll talk to you tomorrow with the family.